Welcome back, everyone. We are live for another episode of Growing With My Fellow Growers. I'm your host, Jack Greenstock, joined, as always, by an amazing panel. Today is actually our three-year anniversary of the show. We missed an episode or two, but we also had a few weeks where we did two shows. So, And this is actually the official uh, three years to the day that we had the first episode. So just want to say welcome back to all of our great listeners and to our first panelist, Spartan Grown. Welcome, Spartan. What's up, everybody? Thanks, Jack. Uh, thanks, everybody. Welcome, chat. Uh, I'm Spartan Grown. You can find me on Instagram at Spartan Grown, all one word, no spaces. Or you can also, if you don't have any, if you don't do Instagram, you can shoot me an email at spartangrown at gmail.com. I'm a uh, organic grower at home and a synthetic grower at uh, work here in Michigan, commercial grower. Man, my brain's not working. I'm on edibles right now. So (laughs) (laughs) that's a good way to celebrate three years. Well, uh, I'll say, Next up, we got Dr. MJ. Hey, Grower Love Jack and everybody. I'm happy to be back again on our three-year anniversary. That's like, it's like a long time. So yay us. And thanks to the audience for sticking with us and showing up every week when we do this show. Um, so yeah, I'm excited for another cool show. It's uh, funny that when you said that, I thought I have been doing this longer than uh, some of my new family members have been alive for. And they're over like a, a year plus now and it's like wow it's, uh, it's funny to actually think that but we've been doing this uh, pretty dang consistently and i'm happy to keep uh, coming back and doing it next up brandon rust what's going on guys brandon rust here if you're not familiar with my work you can find me on instagram at rust.brandon and you can also find a link on in my bio to my company, Bokashi Earthworks, which is exponentially increasing. Uh, We are growing. We've got some growing pains we're going through right now, but it's all getting situated. Got a lot of cool stuff coming up. So keep your eyes peeled. And so I posted that I have a seed drop, very limited seed drop coming up. And it's gonna be dropping tomorrow at 420. But I didn't say whether that was a.m. or p.m. So be aware. Well, welcome back, Brandon. I actually reposted that on my story because so many people ask me about your seeds. I'm like, don't complain to me if you miss the drop. Here it is. Two days in advance. We gave you notice. So uh, definitely check out Brandon's page and be uh, sure you follow that. Next up, we've got Matthew Gates. Hey, everyone. This is Matthew Gates. I am an IPM specialist that stands for Integrated Pest Management. I'm a writer at Skunk Magazine. I have a YouTube channel, Xenthanol, where I talk about plant health and various aspects about usually insects and mites and biocontrols and and that sort of a thing. So if you're interested in that, and of course, pests as well, you can check me out there, Xenthanol on YouTube, as well as on Instagram at SyncAngel and also on Twitter. Always happy to have you back. Next up, we've got Kyle. Hey, everybody. My name is Kyle Breeder. Uh, yeah, three years is a long time, you guys. Uh, it's very, it seems like maybe like four months ago we just started doing this, but it, it's been way longer than that. Um, yeah, uh, so I specialize in feminized seeds and I'm slowly but surely creeping into the autoflower world. Uh, I do have some new autoflower seeds on my website with a, a collaboration with uh, Noam Automatics. So if you're looking for autoflower seeds, they're on there. Uh, the photo periods are slim pickings, but I do have a brand new drop coming in like seven weeks of some really good stuff that no one that I haven't ever released before. 
Uh, I'm also doing a collaboration with Brandon. So anybody who's looking out for that, um, I'm about to, uh, basically I'll have all my females ready for pollination probably in like two or three weeks from today. And Brandon hooked me up with some, some good stuff, uh, pollen wise. So we're going to be getting involved in that. So that's cool. And, uh, yeah, if anyone's looking for me, uh, pure underscore breeding on Instagram, pure breeding on Facebook. And I have a website, which is purebreeding.com. And yeah, happy to be here, you guys. And I'm glad we're all still doing this and we're all still uh, safe and well. Yeah, when you said four months, it's like, well, yeah, well, two years of it was definitely during like a weird time frame, I guess, like the uh, pandemic era. Some It felt fast at some times, but really slow at other times. So I guess uh, most of that three years has been while we were locked up. But uh, oh, we just lost the American one as I was going to introduce him. But he rejoined, so I'm going to admit him. And uh, pet my cat here while I wait and uh, kill a little bit of dead air and uh, say that I got my hair cut because I just went to a event this weekend. It was, uh, I'll tell you a little bit more about that after we introduce the American one. Cheers, Stout. Hello, Jack panel and everyone in chat. Happy uh, three years. Yeah, that's a long time. I think I came a little bit uh, late to the party, but it's always good being here and chatting it up with you and uh, hanging out and chat when I can. And yeah, I'm glad to be here. We're glad to have you, and you're definitely on some of the earlier shows that I recall, so it's uh, great to have you here as always, and definitely looking forward to tonight's show. I guess I've got a few possible topics we could talk about. I just went to a cannabis-related event up in Bel Air this weekend with uh, my wife's work, where we sponsored a dab bar, and uh, it was a pretty good time. We could talk a little bit more about that, and also learned a little bit more about CBG and CBGA recently. Thank you to um, uh, Medically Fit because he always sends me great info. And this time I happened to actually have a little bit of downtime right when he sent me a link. And I was like, oh, CBG info from two doctors. And uh, I just want to kind of like share some of the pertinent info that I took from the parts that I've listened to so far. And um, one was kind of corroborating what Matthew has warned about in the past when taking any cannabinoid, you should be aware that it could impact other medicines that you're taking. And they were talking about, in this uh, case, SSRIs. And they found CBG actually improved effectiveness for SSRIs, but it also um, was blocking CBD. So if you took massive doses of CBG, it would counteract some of the benefits of CBD, like the anti-nausea effects that they're looking for in certain cases. So definitely something interesting to look more into. I guess I should probably uh, share that link out to the yeah, chat I so wanna, people can listen. As I said, I want to second that uh, shout out to, uh, to Dan. To med because he always sends me the same links i've been getting them too so i really do appreciate that i don't get to be able to check out every single one but i do get to peruse through a lot of them yeah i end up he's he is really good at that and uh i we would reciprocate but i haven't had time really to like hang out and just flip through all the uh papers and uh video clips that he sends i mean that i like would send him but yeah. it's awesome i go through eventually i, I check every single one out and uh, what's really interesting to me is that <clears throat> there's a lot of diversity. Some of it is about field crops, which is like regenerative, real agriculture, large scale farming that is working, which is really pretty cool. But uh, yeah, shout out to MedFit. Thanks for uh, continuing to uh, send me the links and I guess a whole bunch of people. That's really awesome. Yeah, MedFit. Yeah, he's been doing that for years. I mean, I can remember back in the Google Hangouts days. You know, that's kind of where I first kind of started getting included on, on those drops. 
He's definitely a, a advocate and a firsthand, you know, representing, you know, sharing the knowledge and, and doing it in an active way where he's looking up the sources today. Like I was saying, they were uh, doctors and clinicians and they were sharing some of their firsthand experience with patients because CBG is relatively new. They talked about how harvesting early, you can get some, but it's not typically even going to be the dominant cannabinoid um, where there's these new CBG uh, genetics that have that as the dominant cannabinoid, both in hemp and uh, on the cannabis side of things. But it is so new as far as like it wasn't uh, previously documented and studied uh, the way that it is able to be now. So I'm happy to see some of the benefits, but also learn more from the research now that we're able to get our hands on it and actually do the studies and uh, see some of the firsthand accounts from doctors and things like that. Kyle, I think you mentioned that you had some CBG in one of your uh, vape carts or something recently. Yeah, yeah, I got this. Uh, I'm, I'm trying to find a ratio that works for me, you know, in regards of like CBD to THC, because uh, for some reason I'm just like have randomly become sensitive to like THC, um, and I know that's very vague because there's tons of cannabinoids in that but uh yeah so i got a, a vape pen that was cbn cbd and cbg and uh yeah i mean i was it was just like extremely comforting it was very light uh it was clear-minded but yet calm and uh so just whatever was going on with that you know i don't know if like the cbn was like bringing me like somewhat on the calmer downer side, but then like I was somewhat uplifted by, you know, or relaxed. I don't, I'm not too sure, man, trying to self-diagnose the whole thing, but uh, it was a really good, anybody looking for, you know, whoever I know, cause it's weird. Like half the people I grew up with still do extreme bong rips and stuff like that, which is fine. Cause I mean, I'd probably be doing it too, but then the other half is like me where we're just like, uh, we just get like, kind of like depending on how much we consume and stuff like that, we get uh, anxiety and stuff. But, uh, yeah, it's just really good for anybody that's kind of in that medium of trying to figure out uh, to where to, how to self-medicate. Uh, it really helped me a lot. Um, but I don't know how available that type of vape pen is because I've been to a few spots in Massachusetts and I've never seen that. Um, so I don't know if anybody else has seen those kind of cannabinoids combined or anything. I think the easier way would probably be sourcing them independently and then combining them up yourself. But True. it may be available like online because a lot of stuff from hemp is legal now and it's uh, available to be shipped in all 50 states like cbg uh i know what spartans talked about in the past like the happy buds hemp where they have cbg and high cbd flour that's tested and available for people in all 50 states that you can then extract yourself and they even have a concentrate um one of the people that i mentioned um he actually reached out and gave me <laughs> a discount for cheap home grow that I should look into, but he changed his name um, to Sonoma, something like Sonoma CBD. So if you check out Sonoma CBD and you use the coupon code cheap home grow, it was the guy that I talked about who gave me the free uh, cherry wine F3 seeds. And uh, I'm currently again, blanking on his name, but he hooked me up and uh, that the new name is Sonoma CBD. So, and I guess he has a little bit better prices over there too. So good stuff. And um, anybody have anything new or exciting that happened this week? Any updates? I got a question for you guys real quick and maybe someone can shed some likes. I know you get, a lot of you guys like to read a lot of stuff. Uh, I was talking to uh, the guys over at Khalifa and basically I would mention if they had found like, cause all they deal with is like ancestral breeding and, and land race and stuff like that. And I was like, Hey man, if like, have you found any really cool like cannabinoids that aren't so prevalent, you know, that's going around. And he had mentioned uh, THCP. Have you guys heard of that? 
they just discovered it in Italy like a year ago, uh, maybe a little more now. But yeah, it's very, very, very minor amounts in most plants, and it, it wouldn't surprise me that it was found in the land race, I guess. Yeah, I know. I've heard about that one. They, um, the Italians found it in <clears throat> some strain they had, but it was in minuscule amounts, and all the experiments and stuff that they're doing with it, they synthesize it in a lab. So they found it was not, more like 30 times more active. At, yeah. Uh, they claim it's 30 times more uh, CB1 more receptors than THC so, comparatively. It's like the secret goal. Maybe. But Could be. I, I talked about I heard uh, someone talking about when they do tests, they get like 99 or 99 point some percent of what they can uh, identify and there's still a little bit that they just like, since it's not, they don't know what it is. They don't look for it, so they can't find it. But they it's getting smaller and smaller. And more. Yeah. It's like, it was like 98, now it's 99. And like part of that 1% was THCP before, but that was one it's of the blips on the- Some compounds that they don't know what it, what it is yet. Yeah. So that's pretty interesting. I find it interesting that they can grow that stuff in a lab or synthetically produce it. I find that pretty, pretty wild, but- you just got to simulate what happens in other cases, I suppose. Have you guys heard of the, um, the hydrogenated cannabinoids? The, um, I actually put it in chat just now. Dr. Mark has worked on those. He's been on Hash Church a few times. They hydrogenated THC and CBD. And yeah. I think it makes it like a different uh, type of cannabinoid. Has different effects. Well, supposedly, so. I guess because of the longer like tail chain on it, um, I think it's supposed to be really potent because I guess it, I might be totally wrong here. You guys should check out that work. But I think it binds to the receptors and like it stays for a longer period of time. So essentially you feel the effects for longer, if that makes sense or certain effects rather. So. I think like all cannabinoids, it'll vary uh, individual to individual. And they're definitely still doing early research because it's something that you have to create in a lab. And it's not widely available through a cultivar out there in the cannabis community that we, many of us may have been exposed to. I shouted out somebody a, a few shows ago, it might have even been last show, where I talked about the Free the V project, talking about THCV. Jade Nectar hunted through a bunch of land races and they found some really high THCV cultivars and they're giving them away for free. They finally just got their packaging in. And uh, I'm watching one of their Instagram posts on my phone over here, but they're, I think it, they're selling them for like technically a penny just to like cover shipping or something, but. Um, you know what varieties they were, they were uh, rifling through? Uh, I should probably pull up the posts and share screen and then uh, give them the South, proper shout out here. Southeast or Afghanistan and regions or. Yeah, I actually just got set up for, I mean, not to kind of like, I'm not really changing the topic, but uh, I'm actually about to drop some of those uh, 94 Northern Lights and some uh, Afghanistan seeds that a Marine found in over Afghanistan. So I'm pretty, uh, I haven't really played with any of those. So it's pretty excited. Those two separate things or is that a cross? And it's one thing. Totally separate. Uh, somebody okay, had cool. found a, a pack of seeds on a, someone's grandfather uh, bought, you know, I guess when you could get the skunk or the Sensi Seed magazines or one of those magazines from back in the day, they would have seeds on the back that you could get. And this, this guy and his his uncle have been growing them outdoors in New England for the last, I don't know, 30, 40 years or however long it's been. And uh, so the epigenetics are like irreplaceable because they're just acclimated to New England. 
Um, yeah, that's like a local land race now almost. Yeah. I mean, and the, the weather is pretty extreme up here. So if it can do its whole cycle and do well, I mean, it's pretty nice. Uh, Always interesting to see how stuff can acclimate to a uh, climate and how it may change or may not change when it is shipped to a different place and is grown out. Seeing like the velvet punch grown, I, I, my buddy Vegan Dojo bred the F1 in NorCal and then he sent it to me here in Southern California and I made F2s and F3s and sending them to people all over the world or all over the US, I should say. Seeing them grown out, a lot of them found the same flavors that I was finding. So it's interesting what can and uh, does shine through. But I'm going to share my screen and just give uh, Jay Nectar a little bit of a shout out while I look for, <laughs> I was like scrolling through the page and I can't find the exact post where they describe the uh, genetic variations that they found, but I just want to give them a shout out for doing good work and sharing genetics to the community because THCV is extremely rare. Subcools genetics were some of the only other ones I'd heard of that had it other than like Doug's Baron, which is a cut that was hard to get. Um, but here's the guy who is making it all happen. I, I don't actually know his name, but the page is right here. You see Jay Nectar and he's showing off some of the packaging, but I'm going to click through some of the other posts so that we can maybe find the genetic um, lineage where yeah. he talks about it. Shout out to anybody holding on to the, anything, any seeds pre 2000, man, because that stuff's going to be worth a lot at some point. I guess it depends how the market will move um, and what people want, because it's like, Will it be the niche people looking for that? And like, I think that things are going to continue to evolve and we'll look back to certain things, but other things might not be so popular. It's going to be like, a you'll have to really know what people want. And I guess like Northern Lights, I think is definitely going to be one. It was one of the most classics of all time, but I'm not the best at talking and reading at the same time. And this is definitely not the post where he describes the genetic lineage, but he's showing off some of the germination and stuff. And I think he said like 92% germination. And I think they're going to be 20 packs of seeds. So uh, not a bad thing so i'm definitely going to be hitting him up to get it back myself because i want to be able to have thcv in my arsenal of medical uh, collection for growing at your own home so it'll be cool to have access to a high uh, cannabinoid source of thcv where's he at oregon or cali i think it's oregon or norcal for sure i'm not 100 sure i gotta go back to the page now um let's see sun grown santa cruz yep so norcal Central slash NorCal. Yeah, I was gonna say. It's so cool watching them things grow, man. When I went through that, you know, when I first met you guys, I was kind of running through all like Kerala's and Malawi's, and it's just so interesting to see like the original bodies of a lot of these cultivars are where we have now, and what like which you kind of see which direction they, they kind of went and with with things, and it's it's really cool to kind of tap into those things. Anybody else grow land race uh, other than Kyle? Have any experiences with them? And uh, if so, what are your thoughts? I've grown some land I don't know. stuff. Go ahead, Brandon. That's very grown true, some, Brandon. Grown some some stuff. I actually grew some uh, some Thai some Thai wheat that Kyle gave me. Um, I didn't get to finish it off though. Because it just went, it just like went all over the place. And I was like, yeah, this is, this ain't going to work here. Dude, that thing was an animal, man. That <laughs> I thing was like, I'll animal. have to save this for like some future date when I have a limited head ceiling. Um, yeah. So yeah, that, right. that was like, 
I couldn't do that. That didn't work. Um, but I did a bunch of the um, I did a bunch of the Russian autoflower stuff, and it that definitely has a you know more open structure. Hey, chubby. Brenda, did that, did that have more of like a peppery or did that have like a different kind of terpene on those? Kind of had like a like a piney lemon, pepper and pine. Nice. Um, all of the ones that I ran did, they're pretty similar. Uh, but, you know, they had a lot more of an open structure. They weren't like something that would be like commercially producible. They might have some type of unique characteristic that we could uh, use for breeding and things like that. But ideally, I'd want to know what that is. And, you know, well, in the next couple of years, it'll be less expensive with the sequencing. You can just be able to see mold resistance, like what, what type of things these and these plants inherently have it'll be really interesting to see also given the proper nutritional profiles without and and also taking away kind of really really harsh environmental stress factors to see what the genetics look like under like kind of almost optimal growing conditions to see what type of things are kind of upregulated. And then, you know, maybe do this, the type of experiment where you have like an environmental stress factor and you test. I'd be really curious to see what um, type of genes are expressed under those, under different conditions with the same plant. You know, um, the Wageningen uh, University in the Netherlands does a lot, and I think I've talked about this before, but they do a lot of uh, sort of phenotype, genotype, uh, and sort of environmental um, research regarding various crops. And uh, I've been seeing in various um, places that uh, people who study these things at Wageningen are um, doing this also for cannabis more and more, and they're looking into it. And uh, I'm very curious to see what they come up with uh, along those lines. I I feel like as the technology becomes less expensive, we'll be able to have exactly what we're looking for. Like we'll be able to find the type of characteristics that might be inherent in some of these wild populations that are really uh, used to dealing with these high stress factors, whether it's insect pressure or you know uh, soil salinity or the lack of nutrition in soil, uh, you know, any, any number of things, because all those things inherently are going to, are going to uh, affect fertilization and that happens on a cellular level. So it's going to change the way the plant expresses itself. We see that with the nutrition thing, you know, especially when you go see wild populations, if you look on a lot of the the uh, like social media channels where there's people who are exploring native populations of cannabis. I, I, I think that 
to be able to see an optimal expression of what those genetics could express, you would have to have kind of optimal growing conditions and optimal nutrition. So it'd be really interesting to take those types of things. Hey, sorry guys. I Again, my dog constantly harasses the cat. I would be upset too if I was allergic to everything. Yeah, and he, you know, <laughs> it sucks because it's not really my cat. My girlfriend, ex-girlfriend left it here. And now I'm just like trying to find a place for it to go. And my dog's allergic to it. So I don't blame him. He's like, get the thing out of here. Honestly, it's very responsible of you to find a, a, a responsible way to um, handle that with the cat because uh, I certainly, I, I know people could appreciate that. Um, I used to know a guy who would tell me that he often encountered like strays, especially up in the mountains, like in Northern California, even um, because people would just, uh, for whatever reason, just decide that that's the way that they want to do that. And um, well, it can introduce some problems for the local environment for sure. Yeah, they're definitely, they'll kill everything. But uh, the one thing I wanted to answer Cal's questions from earlier, some of the work that they were looking through as far as the seeds that they found the THCV in, uh, they only, I don't think they specified, or at least I can't find a specific post yet, but some of the seeds that they're looking through are lamb's bread, Tajikistan, Zamal, Ethiopian, Thai, Iranian, Madagascar, Acapulco, Malawi, 20 Afghan varieties, uh, Pakistani, Iranian, Egyptian, Moroccan, Panama Red, Colombian, to name a few. And uh, wow. so, yeah, definitely they're they're doing the work out there. They have a Lord. huge, three hundred unique land race cannabis plants will fill uh, their garden in the upcoming months. So shout out to Jade Nectar doing some really cool work and hunting for I those think, unique cannabis. I think I, I think I grew a a land race out once. My buddy, uh, he ma- ended up marrying a Ghana woman from Ghana. And they went to go visit and he brought back seeds and I put him inside and I, I tell the story a lot, like in a week, they were through the, they were through the light into the, uh, through the, hitting the ceiling. It was just like ridiculous. So I super cropped them and that was ineffective because they just continued. It was unbelievable how quickly that thing took over. And uh, I even hit it with uh, a male plant that was like a short stab thing. And I grew out that shit and it did the same exact thing. So I pretty much stopped. I still have some of those seeds somewhere. Uh, but yeah, it was, uh, I couldn't do it. It was impossible really, unless, uh, yeah, unless I did like the wraparound uh, centrical circle kind of, uh, you know what I mean? Yeah, it was crazy. Land races are definitely difficult, especially indoors. And I think that's why we so often saw them cross to short squatty plants to make them the hybrids that are more reasonable to grow inside. And um, I sent the group this week a little Cornell hemp research study. And uh, interestingly, I I think it talked about uh, some IPM stuff that I found interesting. Maybe these uh, uh, unique land races might be one of the places to start looking for resistance. But the stuff that they were looking at in New York, as far as hemp goes, actually found like what they considered to be no genetic resistance. Some stuff did a little bit better than other things, but they didn't have anything that was like truly resistant to certain. Um, they even had different ones. I, I think, uh, Matthew, I should have specified to you that there were some uh, things that I'd seen in there that I hadn't seen anywhere else before. And I'm sure you might be interested in the IPM section of that. But um, they even talked about like Bortritis and white powdery mildew and things like that. And none of the cultivars that they had showed 
resistance to that. So they're going to keep looking and, and even maybe do breeding efforts to find stuff that will work in New York outdoors through the harsh environments. I'm curious to hear more about that, definitely. And um, I would also agree that certainly there's a precedent for looking into land race into sort of like wild, uh, essentially, uh, populations in uh, and ancestral populations for crop plants that we've had for uh, hundreds and thousands of years. And uh, I would not expect that to be very different, you know, not significantly different here for, for cannabis, for that matter. I think it'll hopefully uh, sprout something up. I was looking at, because I just found, uh, shout out to SunGrown707, he gave me some, they used to be called Jelly Rancher seeds from Humboldt Seed Company, but then now they're called Hella Jelly. I think they want to avoid like the Skittles and every other person who's been sued by a brand with a similar name uh, controversy. So they changed the strain name there. But I was looking into, um, I actually, a post popped up on my page from them. And I saw a thing where he was talking about since 2018, they've been doing 10,000 plant hunts across 10 different farms. So about a thousand plants per farm, roughly, and going through and finding really special shit. So uh, doing that kind of numbers, and he's not alone in that. I know there's many other people doing that, not only in the US, but all over the world now. So uh, it's going to be cool to see what we were able to find resistance-wise, flavor flavors-wise, highs, smells, uh, appearances. I mean, there's just so much diversity in this plant. It's going to be amazing to see what continues to spring up. Good old silence. <laughs> Sparring our <laughs> things going over there in, in uh, Michigan land. Oh, I don't know, man. I'm sitting here digging on a bowl right now. That was my concentration was on, but <laughs> I got to clean this thing up. But yeah, man, I mean, good Give news. Give us an update. Yeah, so the good news in as far as the fight with the MCMA kind of goes is the suite of bills it was starting with the House Bill 5300 that was going to be really restrictive on home grow as far as caregivers go. Still does not have enough votes. Um, the last whip count revealed to them that they didn't want to bring it up. It's been on the schedule every week. If you look at Tuesday, you'll see it on the schedule, but it's never brought up. So that's a good sign. That means they don't have the two thirds majority to even bring it to, to, they don't feel like they have it. So, um, which is good. Cause if they thought it was even close, they'd call a vote. And, but they have introduced uh, a couple other bills. There's one bill that's right now in the regulation committee that is being opposed by most of all the other industry so I find in the initial like meetings and stuff, the way that the regulator, the regulatory committee, the questions they were asking and stuff, it didn't sound like they were totally convinced either. So I'm not really too worried about that. But what that was, was there was just recently a Supreme Court case here in Michigan where somebody who would, um, there's a process here and it's like this in many states where there's a drug court option to where somebody could go to a drug court and they can get things off their record if they jump through the hoops through the state. Well, somebody was going through drug court and the judge was trying to hold it against them and kick them out because they were using medical marijuana, even though I don't want to call it that. And um, the Supreme Court of Michigan overturned that and said that he was wrong to do that and they can't do that. So this, this legislation was obviously 
<laughs> very timely because right after that this was introduced and what it's going to do is allows those judges in drug courts to decide whether to allow the person to use it or not on a case-to-case -case basis which i mean when you can say easily to any lawmaker so you mean to tell me we need a law that says that a a um, sitting judge can overturn what a doctor says is good for you medically because they have a doctor's recommendation and you're saying that a judge knows better than the doctor what's good for this person. So that's a I think that's a pretty hard, I don't know, question to answer. So I I'm not too scared on that one going through. Well, and if they win, it sets a legal precedent, whether they want to say it's case by case or not. If they allowed that one case, then every other case is going to be like, well, hey, that case got approved. How is my case any different? I have medical <laughs> right. needs. So they can try and approve it. And at least it's better than an outright flat no and a ban, which could happen in some circumstances. So right, um, right. there's a small win there and uh, an opportunity for it to be good moving forward. One other, and I agree with you 100%. And then one positive note, um, Representative, let me get the name right, Representative Yosef Rabi uh, entered a, uh, a bill to deschedule cannabis here in Michigan off of, because there's a, a state level restraint uh straight level uh, controlled substance list just like at the federal level and even though we've here in michigan you know legalized cannabis both medicinally and recreationally it's still on the controlled substance list and it's still schedule one and that causes a lot of issues on all it touches so many things it's it's, it's hard to just get into it and take up too much time so it's basically a cleanup step, but it's something that's long overdue. And hopefully it's, I mean, it has a lot of bipartisan support. So hopefully it's, it's, it's going to go right through, but I mean, we're at the literally, they just, just introduced that. Uh, I think it was Wednesday or something like that. So uh, that was, I'm really excited to see that. And that's all I can think of off the top of my head. <laughs> that's a good update. It sounds like uh, good things moving forward. And um I don't know, something to be optimistic about. And you got, you're always keeping your eyes open, which is important to make sure they don't slip any bad shit in front of you. Um, but I guess to go back to one of the topics I was talking about at the beginning of the show and uh, something that I saw Brandon post about earlier this week. And I want to give a warning <laughs> before I get into this topic. This is not financial advice. And uh, don't ever <laughs> take financial advice from people online. Do your own research. What we're talking about is going to be a speculative finance instrument but i saw brandon was portrayed in a type of art called an nft or a non-fungible token okay and the event i went to this weekend was an nft party so i just wanted to ask brandon about and, and before i ask you i want to say if you're going to invest in nfts 99 percent of the ones i've seen have been scams so don't invest more than like one percent of your net worth because you can lose serious money and fuck yourself over so be careful out there on the internet uh, investing in anything but brandon i saw that you were recently portrayed in an NFT on yeah. Instagram. Uh, what's, what's the deal? What's going on? I, I didn't even know about it, uh, but I guess there's like, there was this big NFT project that was a limited release of 100 NFTs that were going to be dropped periodically and that would be iconic people in the cannabis industry. And I found out about it like the night before it dropped. And he's like, hey, I'm dropping an NFT of you. And I was like, all right. And he's like, you have a bio 
And I have get I get asked this question so many times. I should have one written out. I should have a really nice one written out, and I don't. So I was just like, I just ran, wrote some random shit for him, and I think he, that's what he put. I don't know if that's yeah. what he put or not. I don't know. <laughs> that's a hell of a collaboration. <laughs> it was, I didn't, I, like I said, I didn't have anything to do with it. So that's it what I'm saying. Yeah. You know. Buyer beware, be skeptical with these projects. This guy used Brandon's name and likeness without even asking him and was like, Hey, you like the way it looks, Brandon? Yeah, Brandon. Don't give a shit. Hey, look at this. All publicity is good publicity. There you go. Hey, if that, if if whatever they're doing, regardless, uh help helps helps drive people to good quality products, microbes that are affordable and effective as anything else that's on the market, I mean, then it's all good. I don't I'm care. I think, it's, I think it's an honor, you know what I mean, to be included on their project. And the thing is, look, it is a project. These people have to take actual time and resource to build these things. And so you're investing in a piece of art. Yes, it's digital, but it, that's like, it's super weird because like technology is exponentially increasing and when we're talking about computing we have quantum computers like i don't know what if of uh, what uh you know i don't know what the future exactly is going to look like but i do know that a lot of the technologies that we use today are going to become very very affordable and very obtainable very quickly so if you can think about, you know, the digital age and digital currencies and digital art and, you know, just think about how musicians put out um, albums. What if those albums are what we call a, a non-fungible token, right? Or something like that, where they could buy that. There's a limited amount of that. And if somebody else wants to buy it, off of them they can and it's you know it's just it's like a digital piece of product one thing i like is that the artists can get paid like a set amount like one percent five percent or ten percent every time it's resold they get money back so anything that supports the actual artist i'm a fan of i think it's going to be like a way to verify like your seed pack in the future like here's a you know brandon your little art or whatever there will only be 35 nfts of the whatever packs that you put out and it'll be a verification that, you know, it came with this pack of seeds and this person on the blockchain or whatever. If, if anybody's sophisticated enough to know about all this stuff, they'll understand. But um, it can be way over a lot of people's heads. It's over my head at a lot of the times. But the only reason I really brought it up was to go back to the beginning of the show. I kind of mentioned that I was in Bel Air. Um, my wife's work got um, contracted to do a dab bar for a like little mansion party for an NFT drop called the Baby Ape Social Club. You can't make this up. Um, it's based off of or inspired by what's called the Bored Ape Yacht Club. I think I could be misremembering. But I think those that's are it. those are selling for like ten times what like my car would go for. Like some of them are like it's crazy. Like we're it's talking about like two hundred thousand to a million on some of these digital uh, I've, art projects. Okay. So I usually don't like to engage in super basis speculation when I can. But uh, I'll, I'll do a little bit here. I've heard that things like NFTs, although I am a fan of things like the math that might allow people to, one, like get paid like you were talking about, Jack, and also 
like just the sort of cryptography of the map is interesting to me, though I, I don't know it. I don't understand it. Um, but I was going to say, I've heard that one of the reasons for this is um, to launder money. And it was be definitely point. being used. I mean, crypto yeah. in general, but they use cash to launder money. Also and, to avoid taxes. But exactly. Yeah, everybody kind of, of want to avoid taxes. Like, doesn't everybody, <laughs> like, isn't that kind of the burden of what's going on? Like, well, in the, the U.S., isn't crypto, getting you pay tax. Done? Yeah, if, if, if you, you are doing it honestly, if you're trading or buying and selling crypto in the U.S., you pay tax on it. We have made regulations for it. And we're making a lot of money in the U.S. every year from people paying. Like, I, I'm watching TV and I get commercials for uh turbo tax and they're like i'm a millionaire i'm not a millionaire i'm a millionaire i'm not a millionaire there's this little question yeah, it's like oh are, i'm a tax expert for crypto people so you can worry about your trades and oh, we'll worry about your taxes or whatever you've uh, got to I, risk it for the biscuit well there was say. a fucking matt damon super bowl commercial about crypto and then like all of them like plummeted after that but it's like you know it's went too mainstream when um but yeah it, it's it's general it's interesting for sure Somebody just sent a big link in the chat. Uh, I'm, there's going to be some some interesting things. I don't know a whole For lot sure. about it, right? I don't know a whole lot about it, but I do know some people that are into uh, software engineering and that they work with these really advanced machines. And so a lot of whatever they talk about in the language that they talk about is kind of over my head. And they use these graphs that don't make any sense to me. Um, but, you know, the basic of it, is things are going to change very, very rapidly with but our for financial like, systems as well. So, Like Russia right now, their ruble price is going down a lot. So a lot of people there, I'm sure, would benefit from having had cryptocurrency maybe before all this happened. I know the prices of that stuff fluctuates a lot, but if your own currency, I know other countries have had issues like the Turkish lira being famously one that has had a lot of issues. And Russia, even in the past with inflation, has had tons of issues. So that's a reason some people like crypto, but it is highly, Russian highly speculative. Russian people are in more trouble and they give a fuck less a point right now about money. They just want to have a fucking food, worry about all kinds of shit. Yeah, Russia and Ukraine, both sides are actually having big issues. Yeah. Okay. So I will say this because before it gets, anybody goes back and forth, I want to say this. I'm smart enough to know that the, the military propaganda machine has utilized technology and I honestly do not know what is real and I will not, and I have enough sense to know that the media and, and our government and other people's governments, whatever's going on, there's something else going on. And I do, and I have no clue what that is. So I don't want to speculate or like, you know, cause I just don't know. I don't know the truth. There's too much misinformation and there's too much in like, you know, I don't know. I don't have any firsthand experience on it. Like as somebody who wanted to go into military intelligence, like for a, a, a large majority of my younger youth years, that was a, that was my track. That's what I wanted to do. I want to join the U S army commission and do MI work or something to that. I was, that was my preferred branch. Um, misguided as I think it is now. And uh, I'll say this, Brandon, I think that's very wise of you. Yeah, take yeah. anything you see on the news with a grain of salt. I'll say that. But to get back to the topic, it'll get back to weed, but I'm going to transition it with the NFT crypto thing. Um, NFTs are just art that you can only buy with crypto. So like the one that I went to was a project that's on Solana, which is like uh, there's Bitcoin and Ethereum are like the big two everyone knows, but Solana is another one, a, a coin out there. And um, the party was actually a pretty good time. We had like five dab rigs set up. 
Uh, every single one got alcohol swabbed and then wiped down. There was also hundreds of joints that were given out um, courtesy of West Coast Cure. It was a good time. And um, my wife loaded up to 14 gram or half ounce joints and uh, only one of them actually got smoked. The other one got sold and uh, it was a good time uh, going up. I don't typically go to Bel Air mansion parties. That's not my typical weekend. So it was a nice little change of pace and a fun time. I guess unknowingly celebrating the three-year anniversary. I, I was paid to be there, so it wasn't like I was wasting money or anything. But uh, yeah, paid and at the big Ritzy place. Yeah, you know, got to work your way into more of those. But I'll, I'll say with, with what Brandon said, we don't know what we don't know, and I agree. Like, like, yeah, we just don't know what's going on. Thank goodness we're all. Uh, well, I don't know. Thank goodness for me that uh, I don't have any kids and I don't have to worry. But I, I digress. Um, was anyone here familiar with Old Timer One? Yeah, yeah, I heard he just passed away. Wow. Yes. Yeah, we talked was... about him like last week's show because I was saying how Brandon mentioned that Old Timer yeah. One said he did not give uh Blue Skies Vienna no genetics. No, yeah. And Kyle was talking about he's going to hunt through some of Blue Skies. Vienna yeah, and that's, what, that's part of that's part of the seeds I'm popping in uh, in about the next couple of days. Uh... Do we, I mean, I don't know him personally, but I know you guys I didn't, did I didn't, if you want to talk about I, him. I didn't know him personally either, um, but I know he was like one of the OGs of the game. He was one of the guys that uh, had uh, original skunk stock. I don't know how the story went and stuff, but I'm sure Jack would probably be a better historian than, than myself. Well, it's funny because Blue Skies for like, old timer saying that he never actually gave him any work did a good job like pur uh, purporting the story of like old timer one had pre skunk man sam uh, right. skunk so like most of the skunk i've seen in uh, amsterdam libraries you'll see called skunk one you order it and then you get these kind of sweet piney um they look like like colombian uh hybrids and they're good but they're not skunky and right. they never were skunky they never get skunky there's not really much that you can do to bring out skunkiness. Like I know hundreds of people that have grown them across a, over a decade and no one's finding anything skunk in there ever. So the theory is when Sam, uh, there was a group called sacred seeds also known as cultivators choice. And I've seen a seed catalog from them as early as 1985. So one of the earlier seed producers as well. Um, so they got busted in California and Skunk Man Sam somehow escaped. Some people th think that he cooperated with law enforcement and that's how he got away. He later got DEA contracts and things like that while he was working in uh, Amsterdam and other countries. But I digress. Um, the point is when he went to Amsterdam, he started working with the genetics that Sacred Seeds was a whole group of cultivators and breeders that were all working together, kind of like a TGA, um, like a, a collective of breeders all making strains and all kind of putting them out under a flagship kind of thing. Well, Sam, when he was working on his own in Amsterdam, I guess people, skunk isn't like really, I don't even know if they have them over there at all. So it's a very uh, noticeable smell and it stands out over there. So I guess he picked and bred away from it deliberately, um, he alleges, I guess, but it may have been unintended. I, I don't know what the true intentions and everything are behind it. Uh, some people love Sam, some people hate him. <laughs> I don't want to speak too much about skunk man Sam himself, but uh, some of the work I've heard about him doing it all kind of sounds like things for whatever reason ended up going a lot more sweet, more piney and not skunky. So if you have pre Sam uh, skunk, then it could have actually been more likely skunky. 
And I think that's, that's why it's highly desirable to have that stuff. I feel like that has a lot of validity to it, Jack, because like, you know, everyone's saying, you know, like how uh, Ag Seed Company has these, like you said, everyone's just getting these different terpene profiles, but the only ones I've heard that were like literal like death and like rotting corpse and baby shit mixed with uh, like burning oil or all this weird shit is, has come from uh, air quotes, you know, old timer one stuff. So uh, something's going on there, but, you know, whether, you know, but uh, yeah. Because, like, who's to say that Old Timer One didn't send out some seeds to somebody that he was friends with? He didn't maybe know his name or something, maybe changed his name, or he got those seeds from somebody who got them from Old Timer One kind of thing. So maybe it's possible that he got them from there. And the AG Seed Co. is, is uh, Mel Frank slash Skunkman Sam stock from 1988 is what I saw labeled when he was putting those out. I think they've already sold out, though, or limited drops. But um, that's Todd McCormick's uh, work that he's been doing. Some with Skunkman Sam and uh, Mel Frank and a few of the other uh, OGs in the game. Yeah, somebody just sent me a bunch of those skunk number ones. Uh, pretty interested in seeing what that's all about. From the authentic genetics source. Yeah, yeah. Somebody had somebody else had gotten them and then like gifted me some. I mean, I'm not. Uh, I haven't grown any out yet. Nor do I want to tap into you know I'm, I'm, I'm trying to go like you said but how we were just saying like i want to get some some profiles that like aren't quite as common so i'm, I'm going in, in theory like you said i'm going kind of before that with the, the other stuff i think that and even like you're talking about with northern lights um are definitely good places to look because in that era there was a lot more skunky flower going around so definitely a potential to find it in there i would guess at least I've heard like Duke Diamond mentioned that's that's where he's going to look if he's going to look for skunk. My only concern is, is that, you know, here I am like, you know, stress testing all these varieties. You know, here I am going to take something that's been purely outdoors and then trying to see how well it does indoors for one and then how well it'll do in the seed generations past that, you know, indoors. So I think hopefully I don't run into some serious issues in there. Something I've been I was thinking about today. I'll, I'll just uh, maybe, maybe potentially early bearer of bad news or play devil's advocate and give you a pre-warning and say a lot of the time from the stuff I've seen and, and even in your own experience, when you take something that's been exclusively grown outdoors and you try and bring it indoor, it struggles because it's such a different environment, the artificial yeah, nature. I yeah, I don't, I don't like it too much. So it, it could just be something to look out for, but you never know. There's always those exceptions and there's a very, you know, just as likely that it could be just fine when it goes inside. Northern Lights was actually one of the varieties that grew extremely well indoors as when people started transitioning to indoor cultivation that it's like when you hear in all the high times books that's one that they talk about i think it was also low smell or like no smell with certain phenos so people picked it for that to pre-carbon filter days um to try and avoid getting busted so you know weirdly weirdly when i did all that land race and heirloom stuff they weren't all that they weren't all that horrible honestly uh you know you would think the tie or some of that stuff just would have been like real droopy and like really aggravated but uh they hung in there but i think you know maybe the issue will probably end up being more extremely stressed environments creating more uh you know intersex problems um but we'll see um, i'll keep you guys posted as i go through and uh, you know moving forward be interesting i'll say like um in nature like the wind even if it's like low almost like never stops and then like you see like situations in a grow room where somebody's like 
power goes out or a fan breaks or dies and like a plant will be sitting in an area where there's like no airflow. So like you're saying, those incredibly stressful environments, like when people don't have a perfectly dialed in grow, or, or even if they do, when the power goes out or generator f- breaks or fails or AC compressor kicks out, whatever it is that puts your plants in an environment that's terrible and they have to sit in there for maybe a few days or weeks. Um, how they react to that is probably maybe like nothing they've ever seen or would see in nature, but that's the part of the challenge of cultivating artificially indoors, I guess, and not artificially, they're real plants, but uh, creating an artificial environment to the best of our abilities comes with complications at times for sure. How's the power been over uh, in Oklahoma for you, Brandon? Have things been pretty consistent? Uh, I know we talked that you haven't had any tornadoes really, but uh, I know there's like ice storms and stuff that come in and out. Yeah, nothing major. Good to hear. I know it's uh, coming maybe close to the end of the season up there. I don't know about Michigan, but uh, Ohio's winters would drag on for a while. And in California, we don't really have a perspective of it. But how's the weather up there, Spartan? It was 60 degrees yesterday. Yes, sir. And they're calling for, I think it's two to four inches of snow in the middle of next week. So... That was our false fucking spring. So there are second winters coming and then uh, we'll have real spring coming behind that. Hopefully. Yeah. I feel like it's going to get cold out here for a second too, but you know, it's all right. That makes outdoor tricky for people that want to get out early. I know it's a little easier in California than some places, but uh, in Oklahoma and, and Michigan, you can get those cold snaps. And if you get out too soon, you can kill your stuff. Yeah. Make sure I mean, it's, Unless you're Party. undercover, you don't want to be out there before, you know, June 1st is when I'd plant usually traditionally outside if I was going right in the ground. I've seen people start here way early. I mean, people here go year round, but uh, you could start here a lot earlier than that. I'll say that we're quite fortunate. You said 60. I was like, hey, that's what it is here right now. Like 60 is pretty nice. But then, like, then we're having two to four inches of snow. And I'm like, I remember those fucking uh, you think winter's over and then you get like a nice little patch of warm weather like t-shirt shorts on and then like next day you're back in your you know hoodie like snowshoes and things like that so it's a uh, no fun kind of had that almost uh here in southern california because uh at least according to my weather app it's supposed to rain quite a bit and we had some we had some rains and some lightning storms actually did you see any of that jack we didn't get lightning where i was at but we had a frost advisory warning we got into the 30s a few of mm-hmm. the mornings which is like uh san diegans don't even Bears, brave the streets when it's that cold <laughs> it's it, true it's funny yeah, it's like fun. it, people are so bundled up and or like just don't go out like a lot of the like the beaches for example are, are pretty much empty if you see somebody on the beach when it's between 30 and 50 in san diego they're undoubtedly a tur- tourist in my opinion <laughs> yeah, yeah we used to be one time. of them i'm not judging in some of the chaparrales up in the sort of the the mountain sort of more hilly areas it's snowing and uh, that's pretty amazing to me, even. <laughs> I don't miss it as far as uh, somebody who's hoping to do some greenhouse cultivation in the hopefully not too distant future. It'll be nice to have the consistent weather where, especially with the greenhouse with LEDs and uh, potential for heat and AC will be climate controlling all year round. It's just a matter of how much light will we have to be supplementing at which times of the season. Because I know certain people in San Diego actually run shade cloth. Uh, because the sun gets so intense during certain parts of the summer. So it's going to be an interesting uh, challenge to dial in exactly how much light the plants will want in a greenhouse setting with the ability to supplement LEDs as well. I know, Brandon, you had a lot of success with the HPS. I know those also put out a good amount of heat. So when you're in those colder times, you can crank them, especially at nighttime to 
help regulate the temperatures. Um, have you had any opportunities to go into greenhouses with LED or would you maybe implement more heating if you're going into something like that? Uh, if I was going to do a greenhouse, I'd try to build it out with a kind of smaller, uh, it's easier to control the environment with a smaller greenhouse. And then you could just build more of them. It's a lot more easier to control. So from that aspect, uh, yeah, I would just do smaller greenhouses. They're easier to control. And, you know, Oklahoma, that, that there's a trade-off. So when you're, especially when you start to scale things, you have to look at, you're going to have to look at this. How much energy does it cost to run the HPS light? How much would it cost for your like propane or gas to heat those greenhouses? You know, if you were running LED, because those things do heat up the greenhouses, especially in the cold. And that's kind of like one of the benefits mm -hmm. of having that. But also you have to change those bulbs every at least six months. So we're looking at we're looking at a couple of trade-offs and it's really hard to, to, to build that L group. And what does it look like? It looks like, okay, it's going to, you, you have to look. We don't at have it. a choice in California by 2023. LED, yeah. LED. Yeah. There's not a choice. So we are going to be LED and we're going to have to implement heat. And I'm hoping that we just get a good R value and, and really tight seal the greenhouse. We're, we're planning to do what I consider to be like reasonable four or five smaller greenhouses as opposed to like one massive one. Mm -hmm. And uh, that allows a lot of, you know, things from sequential harvesting to easier climate control to if there is an outbreak of any pest, uh, it can be isolated versus yeah. getting through the whole crop. So with the, with the aspect of the HPS lights putting out heat, I mean, they do, and it's as efficient if you're looking for heat as getting heat from another heating source, but it, it, it's always there whether you need it or not. I mean, it would be nicer, I would think, to be able to independently control your lights and your heater because you don't always need heat when you need light and you don't always need light when you need heat. Yeah. Um, so I, I don't really think it's an advantage to have those two appliances be the same appliance, if you understand what I'm saying. No, I totally do. It's a, usually just an upfront cost of operation thing for most people getting set up with HPS. It's a lot uh, it was for us cheaper, but it also has like, I'll, I'll call it a dual benefit because in certain times of the year where he's at in Oklahoma, it does actually get cold enough that the extra heat helps a little bit. But like you said, having a, a heater with LED lights where you're not going to, you have control over both is also right. extremely Where effective. you can get the light when you still, you don't have to turn the air conditioner on, right? In, in certain situations or whatever, because you still want to get the, the extra light. But yeah, you know, the other side of that is the prices are really coming down on LEDs too. So they're not that much more than HPS, but when you factor in paying out for the, the heaters too, it would be. I, um, it, I always break it down to people like this and it seems to make it an easy decision for them. Usually I say, look, it's you have to look at it as like total investment at the end game. So if you're buying HPS, you know, you're going to replace them down the end. You know, you're going to. So, and the longer it takes you to replace them, the long, the more it even costs you because you're replacing bulbs on top of that. So if you can skip the step of spending all that money to do doing all that and go right to your end game and go to led from the get go, and then you're not going to spend all that money. Now, what do yes. you gain from getting HPS is you might be able to get operational sooner. If that's all it is, is the cost that you're worried about. 
you might be get you might be able to get a harvest in, which is big for some people. But at the same time, there's no ROI on that investment, in my opinion, because it's wasted money because you're going to be replacing it. And you know it before you even bought them. Some don't. Some people don't. Some people are still in the mindset that this is like the way it's the only way to grow good. Well, look at California. There's going to be regulations that are going to eventually force you to do it. Oh, not happened yet, but and I'm I'm with it because I've seen it personally. Like I was one of those people I got CMH to start because it was more affordable for my space. It worked, and especially a few years ago, the prices of LEDs were not what they are now. So it got me started, but then I switched over to LED that was more appropriately fit for my space and immediately saw benefit. So going into a more commercial environment, I definitely, if I'm going to build it to, if I could do everything perfectly like how I want to, I'm going to pick LED, and then have heat and ac as needed so i uh, definitely think that's in a, in a perfect world what i think most of us would uh, grab for and the other side of this is that the leds don't put out that much less heat than the, the hps so i mean it, it's just a function of the power jar you can pretty well calculate how much heat a fixture is going to add to the grow space by the power draw and that's regardless of lighting technology it's true for the hps lights and it's true for the led lights uh, you know, 600 watt LED is going to end up putting the same amount of heat into the grow space that a 600 watt HPS is. The, the if it was sealed, I, but in a greenhouse where LEDs let their heat drift off the top of the light and maybe there's a truss above it that can allow some of that heat to vent. It's a little bit different where the HPS actually yeah. shoots the heat down onto the plants. You can see it with uh, infrared camera. My girl is actually done testing with his own ceramic metal hot light, which he sells. So like to me, it, it felt like a fair side by side. He just showed the flare camera of the CMH versus the LED, and he showed the hanging heights, and he showed the plant canopy temperatures. And um, it's something that I've shared many times in the yes, past. Yes, if you're like, if you're in an, literally an open space, but if you're if the space is confined, if you're heating up a space, and if if you're in a greenhouse, you're going to be heating up that greenhouse too. The the heat energy in terms of the the BTU load on that space is going to be the same. But yeah, per the thousand HID watts. lights definitely direct more of their heat sort of directly at the plants. Um, and they put out more of the infrared energy, but the sort of absolute amount of heat that's added to the space is going to be the same. And LEDs are more efficient. So you get more light for the same amount of power. So, you know, where you may have needed a thousand watts for HPS, you only need 600 watts for an LED. And for that reason, you're adding less heat to the space. But um, the LEDs still heat up most people's grow spaces enough. And most people still only have to worry about the, the cooling side of the equation. Right. And that's because I think per every thousand watts of electricity, I think it's 3,400 BTUs. Whether yeah, it's an LED there's light an equation. Or... It's about the wattage times 3.4 something. I don't remember the exact yeah. Um, number, but yeah, that is sort of how many BTUs per watt you get. So with that in mind, it's like, like you were kind of describing it, the savings would be by hanging less total wattage of LEDs to get roughly the same amount of light. Exactly. And, but then uh, it depends on your environment, how good your R value is on insulation and things like that. And uh, what quality um, AC and uh, dehumidifiers and um, heaters you have, because there are varying qualities of that. People don't, we look at the light efficiencies, but people don't even think about their dehumidifier efficiencies or their, all the other devices that are running. Some of those create 
a, a shit ton of heat to only pull some water out of the air, where some of them are a lot more efficient at pulling water out of the air. So your total load, if you get the more efficient thing across the board, not just the LED, but better fans, better everything, you can uh, drop the total electrical load and have more effective work being done, whether it's light output or dehumidification. There's a technology is getting a little bit better in all aspects of growing. Yeah, for sure. And dehumidifiers, you know, I don't know how many growers in our audience are using dehumidifiers would be interesting. I, I don't imagine very many of them. But if you are, if you're in a sealed space like that, the efficiency on that is is extremely important to understand. Um, both in how efficiently it'll take water out of the air and, and how much power you need to do that. I've seen a lot of them. I mean, Quest and Andin seem to be the popular ones, but then in the commercial space, it seems like the reheat option with the cannabis mechanical, he's described that you can add that to most typical ACs to get great dehumidification out of your current ACs without having to add a bunch of uh, dehumidifiers. So that, that's an option. I definitely uh, implore people to look in, into that. But um, Spartan, I think you guys run quests at your commercial space. Do you run anything at home for dehumidification? Other yeah, just regular. I reg, run regular um, house units, but they're, let me see, the brand is Frigidaire. I run Frigidaire. <laughs> I remember, I can't recommend them enough because I can remember, shoot, they're at least five years old. And I bought them both the same time on a sale. It was an online sale on Best Buy and I bought two of two of them. And I love them <laughs> and uh, they've never broke down on me or anything. Uh, I've got one in just the corner of the basement, just dehumidifying the whole space of the, of the basement. And then I have the other one I use in my grow in my flower room. I mean, Frigidaire is, I would say a pretty trustworthy brand in the household appliance space. Generally, I've had good experiences with them and I'm happy to hear that yours extended to the dehumidifiers and that, you don't have to pay the cannabis tax on devices. Yeah. I, I know a lot of people get sort of taxed for a lot of things within the space. So it's nice when you can actually just get a household unit that is reliable and effective for your needs. Because like uh, Doc kind of was alluding to, I think the Andin and Quest units, like even their smallest units, it's way overkill for me. Like I'm in a closet in a tent. Like most humidifiers are overkill for me. So that's why I'm not yeah. currently using one. And I think well, there's that side of it. Can get away with it. it. Sorry. Finish your okay. I was the same. Most people can get away with uh, not having to run it like, like you were kind of commenting. Yeah. Well, most people, I, I think they're set up with exhaust and, and they're running a ventilated grow and it's really difficult. I mean, you can dehumidify a long room in that situation, but um, it, it's often sort of a choice between exhausting the air or dehumidifying the air. And I think most home growers choose to, to go with exhaust. Now, some growers may be trying to also dehumidify and maybe they're, they're doing that with a long room, like I suggested, but um, I think there may also be growers out there that are trying to, to dehumidify the tent um, sort of in vain as they're also exhausting the air. So, you know, I basically look at those as options. If you live someplace where you can get away with exhausting the air, then you generally don't use dehumidification. Um, if you live someplace where you can't get away with exhausting the air, then you seal up the space and you have to use air conditioning and, and dehumidification um, to sort of condition that air again for you. Um, 
and again with long rooms you can kind of fudge at that in different ways depending on how and i've basically run grows like that with my air conditioning where i air condition the room that the tent is in um and let it sort of cycle that that air through uh dehumidification can work in that same way too but yeah it's just interesting to think I, i've always wondered how many how many of our growers are sort of set up in these different ways but most of the growers that i i think i talk to are are exhausting their air well, and depending on environment, your AC actually has a dehumidifying effect, um, right. depending on how high or low your yeah. RH is. Yeah, for sure. I mean, the act of cooling the air has a sort of dehumidifying effect. I run a sealed grow or sealed flower room. So for smell, that's why. And so I have to dehumidify and air condition. But it, I mean, with LEDs, you don't even have to air condition a whole lot. Do you ever have to humidify in your situation? Because I know like Colorado and uh, Arizona. I've had to Arizona. Humidif- yeah, I'm right, actually currently humidifying. And in, in the deadline, there's usually zero fucking humidity. So you have to add. The plants yeah. themselves put out a lot of humidity. So that's usually only a problem, right? When they're small, when they're like seedlings and stuff. Well, that's if you fill your space. I, I have a flower room that I used to have four lights in and I've is I grow half as many now I have two lights going so it's a big open space that yeah. it tends to not build a lot of humidity anymore it's easier to keep the RH kind of where the plants would like it when you're packing the whole entire space with plants but as soon as you have a big air cavity in the room uh, the RH starts to go down when it's not packed so densely with uh, mostly water plants I guess or a good portion of them are putting out a ton of water through their leaf it's a better way of thinking about it and I actually, I honestly love the bigger space to work in and I love the bigger space because it's easier to control. Like for example, the humidity, <laughs> I envy it. You also can like, you have like a clean spot on that side of like the tent where you can like work in and you can look at the plant. I don't know. I wish I had more space. I can right now go around my entire, I've got two, you know, a picture, you know, just two lights right next to each other. So uh, four by eight. So it's like a rectangle. I can walk all the way around except for on one short end. So there's only one short end that I can't, there's, that's on a wall, but I can get like all the way around every plant. Now it's, it's amazing. Awesome. <laughs> it's good for, it's good for access. It's just not that great for light efficiency um, to be able to, you're sort of losing a lot of light around, around those edges, but I understand. Oh, it's the not production grow. It's a fucking home grow. <laughs> yeah. The- still, you're losing a lot. I mean, well, well, I'm doing if great, you had man. a reflective wall right around this <laughs> I'm doing really getting... good, I thought. <laughs> What's that? That I'm doing really good. I don't feel like I'm losing shit. Well, you're losing a lot of light. Did, I'm doing great. Did you? I guess did theoretically you it has, use it has some of that humate fertilizer, Spartan? What's that? Did you get some of that humate fertilizer? I I've been using remember. it, bro. I've been using it. Hey, that's just I bought crazy. The order more. It? Yeah, dude, yeah. it's like crazy. I'm like, this is uh, the this is like the easy mode. It's like the in between, uh, t- it's like in between organics and bottles. It's like uh, organic bottles almost. <laughs> yeah, it's like an organic it's... three part. <laughs> Actually, it's not even a three part. It's a one part. You just use a different one part depending on what stage you're in. As long as you got, uh, as long as you got, you know, some pretty decent soil yeah and you don't use it often either it's just like it kicks things into overdrive though right now hey did you get mushrooms sprout up or anything after using i haven't seen mushrooms but i just seen plant like health like it just fucking i don't know just like vigor and like a a darker shade of green 
Uh, I've only used the, uh, like for each plant, we'll say I've used the one that's used that he had the most was it got one dose of the unhumate. It got two doses of the transition or whatever it's called complex. And then so far one dose of the potassium. And I'll tell you what, I like to, what I call preload potassium. So I like to bring potassium in like week two a little bit, just so that in organics, it's there when it wants to have it for the, uh, for the bulking. And dude, I, I gave it that at week two and the plants just the next day were just, I thought they were happy the day before. And they were like, no, nah, this is what happy looks like. So I was really impressed with that after like a day. So yeah, I'm, I'm pretty hooked. But I mean, again, I haven't got to harvest yet and I don't have any results as far as that goes, but, um, so far just initial uses i'm fucking happy with it and i'll be ordering more I, I i went to the website and looked if i could get a bigger bottle and you don't have a bigger bottle than a little uh, i'm working on all that <laughs> all right. i'm definitely working on it uh one of the things i have to do is figure out all the like better logistics well brandon takes care of some business in the background uh oh also my say. goodness my dog's an idiot well, okay. with that kind of wind up, what what did he do? Nothing. He just he won't oh. stop harassing the damn cat. The cat's on the couch and he doesn't like it. You're talking I about see. bigger bottles of uh, humate and humate, I think. Yeah, yeah. So all of that stuff, it's um. In micro plus. Yeah, I know. It's just uh, it's the reason why all the sizes are the way that they are is because I've strategically been able to like base my shipping and everything but based off of flat rate shipping costs and what i can actually fit inside of these packages and so it's like it it's not it's not very efficient the way that i have to like do this and i have to figure out a better way to be able to ship product because i need i ideally need to make it less expensive for my customers and I need to be able to make it less expensive for myself. Because like it's a similar system. Yeah. And I could help so you. You can move it by freight in a large amount. It's way cheaper. Well, that's, that's Most not people an are issue. This that's the issue, right? I, I can do large quantities. Chubby, stop it. Um, I can do large quantities and have the freight done on like you know pal like a pallet if you're gonna buy like a 250 gallon tote you know that's that's not a problem because you just have uh xpo logistics come pick it up and then you have it shipped and it's a flat rate for a pallet and but when you're talking about like upsizing to like you know a five liter bottle like there's no flat rate shipping box from the mail from the post office that can really fit you need to subcontract yourself through something like I used ship station for when I was sending my books out and I could weigh it at home with like a USPS certified or whatever scale. And then I write the weight into this website with the person's address or whatever. And I can print out a label and I can just go drop it off at the post office and they'll ship it out for me in whatever I package I use. So yeah, what Brandon's saying is he, he no, wants something that. that you can put in a flat rate box and save people money on shipping. He's That's saying if I'm he saying. goes up in size, it's going to be a big increase in shipping. 
That's what, because, okay, I have the flat rate and that is actually the cheapest because I have the ability to use all those other types of packaging methods, whether it's uh, FedEx, UPS. And when it comes down to it, the flat rate is the cheapest. So I have to figure out some other method. Like I need to con like make, like contact, you know, one of these shipping companies and say, Hey, this is what's going on. This is my business. We're greatly increasing in sales and you guys can make money and we can make money together, but let's like figure this out. I don't the know. The thing is really, shipping you know? right now is so expensive because it's hard to get truckers trucking and all that shit. Supply chains are all fucked up. And on top of that, um, like the, the service that I just mentioned, ShipStation, you get the rates that like the Fortune 500 companies are getting. Like I'm getting a much steeper discount than you would get if you just went to the post office and got a flat rate and sent something that, of equivalent size. So, and it, they charge you a few bucks a month to be part of like the service. And they are the then Fortune 500 company type person who pays the post office to get lower rates to, you know, they work within their systems and their code so that everything scan and work a little easier so it can bring their costs down on the back end. But it's a interesting conundrum because like I've heard other people in the nutrient space, like Patrick from uh, Green Bicycles has said, it's almost easier if you're going to ship like a semi or a whole um, shipping container um, as far as Costco and like consistency then to ship just like small packages of things, like um, individually getting it to the places. Uh, the so logistics for that. Only like distribution centers all over the place. That's why, you know, that's how Amazon does it. Yeah, the uh, last like mile or like five miles or whatever of delivery is like the most complicated for people to achieve. And a lot of the charge comes out of that. So like you're saying, Amazon has them everywhere so that they have centers nearby and they can get shit delivered quickly at a lower price for that reason. But it's definitely a logistical nightmare right now with uh, shipping and uh, supply chains, unfortunately, still for several reasons, pandemic related uh, and, you know, international conflict and things like that. But those aren't as you fun know, to I, talk about as cannabis. I heard, um, you know, I heard a little bit about this when I made that post a little while ago on my Instagram about Pete and some some of the like opinions that people had about Pete. One of the one of the most dark ones, and even people, some some people actually took umbrage with uh, cocoa. They they called it unsustainable as well, or or worse in some cases. And I'm I bring it up on purpose. I'm curious if. Uh, uh, Dr. Coco has some impressions about that because I wasn't totally sure what they were talking about. Usually it's a waste product, I feel like, from Cocoa, Cocoa Core. But um, uh, yeah, like even if it's a sustainable thing where you don't have to destroy or you don't harvest you know, unsustainably, you're still like processing and uh, sort of, um, what's the word I'm looking for? You're still kind of like, you're still having an ecological effect on that location. And uh, you're, you're changing those dynamics in ways that are kind of irreversible still. Um, and I guess what it goes with the with that is also when you are trying to be sustainable with using pee or whatever, you can use it many times, but people are packaging it in plastic. And of course, there's all the rigmarole of like getting it to the location that people want. And so a lot of people are like, well, if I use it locally, then it's a lot more. It's a lot better, of course. And I, and I grant that for sure. But um, yeah. I'm curious if yeah, if people had impressions so, about that. A lot of cocoa is sort of derived from other industries, but there's a lot of it now that's grown for the production of cocoa core. So it's not just a waste product of other industries. Um, usually the coconut plantations are multi-product operations. So they're not just producing uh, core, they're producing 
you know, coconut milk or water or meat or other things, other palm products along with that oil. Um, but yeah, it is, if, you know, there are more and less sustainable methods of all sorts of uh, agriculture and palm plantations are no exception to that. So, um, but it is a, a harvested commodity. Now, there's a few other sides to that. It requires some processing um, and you can process the cocoa in more or less sort of sustainable ways. Um, and it requires transportation from its point of origin, which may be further certainly than um, points of origin for peat in, especially in sort of North America or Europe. Um, transportation costs though are, are less. It can be dehydrated and compressed smaller yeah. um, mm. and shipped pretty effectively. Um, in fact, for shipping it, it it's one of, sort of the most effective media to be to be transported because it can be completely dehydrated um but yeah no i think with any media you gotta it, it goes beyond just sort of if you're if sustainability is your aim it, it goes beyond um sort of the simple headlines you need to get into the details a little bit more um and understand where your stuff is sourced from and cocoa can be reused too and so making those kinds of decisions within your own operation um to reduce the throughput is is important hey doc do any uh, operations farm coconut trees for their cocoa core do any what do any, like, you, you yes. said that in the in the yes statement. yes there are oh, I missed part of it then i'm sorry oh, yeah Yes, there are plantations that I, I think are primarily monetized or sort of their main product is core. The way to think about it, though, Tao, is it used to be, oh, this is a waste product and, and they'll make a little money off it and, and some gardeners will use this. It got so popular that they now have to cultivate. Yeah, that's some a good people thing. Well, they choose to. They, I mean, yeah. they choose to because it's a more profitable crop than other crops that those plantations could be growing. And exactly. They don't have access just, to sphagnum you know, peat where you can grow. grow it every year. And as it's growing, it's helping, well, one could claim it helps the environment as it's growing, right? Yeah. So that's a well, good thing that they have to- uh, It's not It's not net. It. Technically, you could, you could hope ideally that they're going to grow it perfectly. But like Dr. MJ alluded to, uh, some of it or a lot of it right now is chemically treated and that's how it's post-processed. And then there's like, it's coming from India. Right. So that's less sustainable. There's ship. so many factors. Even if you pack it into a brick, shipping something from India versus having something come from Canada, like North America to you know North mm -hmm. America- there's less shipping impact that takes gasoline, whether it's a, a tanker or a plane that's yep. carrying it. So there's, you really have to dig into the environmental impacts behind all this stuff. And you find out that every, there's no perfect media. I have mm -hmm. looked for it. This there's no perfect media. The best thing you can do is be as sustainably reusable yeah. as, as you know, be the best yourself. If you're going to use cocoa, reuse it. If you're going to use peat, reuse it. That's yeah, like the, here's, step and here's the thing, right? There's this aspect too. You have to think about this. If you do make a soil purchase, the, the, you can keep using that soil if you know how to. That soil can have a, lo a very long life. Yeah. And That's what I don't like about the single-use super soils you know what I mean? that are, are designed essentially for one run of nutrition and then to be disposed of. Mm -hmm. Those well, can be used into a super soil. Soil like, testing, you know? I use the yeah. M3 for my run and I've been using it for two and a half years now. It was a single use super soil that I got some amendments right. and I re-amended it with some of Brandon's microbes and with some build-a-soil like 
the easiest way to do it possible, in my mm. opinion, is to get a craft blend like build a soil where you get all of the amendments that you would need to reamend your soil, cook it back up with that and some worm castings, hit it with some microbes when you start over. Every single time I've done it so far, I've had great results. It's super simple and effective. And I don't know, I think uh, I can give it's like easy a to overcomplicate. A cheap home grow hack for anybody who wants to do uh, a really super, super simple method of uh, growing is if you get, you can pretty much get any decent bagged soil. It's always going to be a little bit deficient in calcium. So you can always add uh, like a tablespoon of gypsum per gallon of potted soil mix. And then if you get something like Biomin, they have a amino chelated micronutrient product, right? So it has all five micronutrients. It has zinc, copper, boron, iron, manganese, and copper. And it also has magnesium. So if you have good levels of calcium already in your soil and you use that maybe like twice, throughout uh an entire cycle and then you have your and then you use that uh humate fertilizer that's like that is kind of a super solid um way to go to where it's really low maintenance and you're not really having to add a whole lot of inputs into your system i forgot that i, I do add the big six micronutrients plus humic acid mix from yeah. fill soil yeah, and yeah. Um, I also use gypsum. And that's kind of like the same thing. That's kind of like the same thing because that big six with humic and fulvic acids, those are the micronutrients that we just talked about. Um, and they're going to be mixed in with that humic fulvic acid. That's going to make them a little more available when they're in that, in that soil solution. It's funny because I've seen like a lot of different sources, whether it's uh, build a soil or clackamas coot or uh, Ted Hussey, um, at Kiss Organics, like a lot of, and, and you with the Bokashi Earthworks, like a lot of the blends, we're all attacking, like, you know, similarly, you know, whether it's cocoa or pita's base, your X amount of aeration, and then all the amendments and micronutrients that you need. We have a pretty solid understanding of it. If you're running a certain circle, I guess you'll see a lot of similarities uh, across a lot of the organic cultivators, which it makes sense. I think that um, there's lots of science that backs it up over the years and, and people have found good results with it. So why not keep moving forward with that? And then doing what you're doing on top of that with the soil samples and uh, tissue testing to uh, verify basically exactly what the plants need and when they need it. Yeah. So there's kind of like a, a fertilization chart that's kind of specific to cannabis and it's been all tested and measured and data has been collected and it works really well. There's certain things that you can do and things, micronutrients that you can increase at certain times to really, and it's kind of like when I was talking about front loading calcium and nitrogen and veg, having a really uh, good abundance of manganese is going to help with a faster onset as well as having, um, I like to see really high potassium potassium super super important it's just it it eats so much potassium and it's also and sulfur so yeah you can you can go super like i don't ever that's one of the cool things about the mineral sulfates right because you get the bioavailability 
from the the mineral in a form that the plant utilizes right and it also brings in that sulfate and that sulfate is plant available also and you in this plant it, it's it's really hard to overdo it on sulfur like you can cause in like if you have smaller plots or, or smaller plants you can cause some osmotic stress because it'll raise the ECE of the soil. It'll raise up the electrical conductivity and that stress, you know, the plant it will, can have a hard time um, with that. But if you have just, you know, a good sized plant and you have a good, you know, volume of soil, you can really kind of push these things even in the soil systems. And that's kind of what I've been doing. I mean, my, uh, my homeboy over at Organic Glaze has been like slowly progressing and uh, he's getting he's getting two pounds of light off of a 480 watt HLG, one of those old 550s. His rooms are like checkerboarded with those things. And so he's, you know, he's crushing it and he's getting, you know, high, high 20s uh low 30s and you know between three and four percent terps on all the weeds so perfect yeah I like that. dude it's yeah looking at those levels though man i see a lot of low micronutrient levels and those things are really important especially if you're like you know really feeding heavily you got to make sure they have access to all that That's stuff what i really Which, liked about that fucking um that carbon-based fertilizer is that it's got micronutrients i feel i feel like i'm i'm feeding micronutrients every time i use it you know it does I mean? it has so we're actually just got the labeling all finished up and we're going to be doing our omri certification and all that other stuff and one of the cool things is that it has it has small amounts of all of the micronutrients it's mostly npk but it has all the other stuff some of them i think like the i think like the the k the one for flowering i don't think it has calcium in it right and uh, i'll be able to i'll be able to actually formulate these things too to increase those micronutrient levels because 20 per, there's 20 percent extra pure humate uh, pure carboxylic acid and so what's happening is when that enters into the soil system that's a water soluble cal that's a water soluble um form of carbon and so it's available to biology and it'll also help chelate the things that are already in your soil so if you've added things that are in the soil solution what are that are in the soil when it falls into solution when you use that it'll help it'll help grab onto that stuff too that's nice. already there so it'd be nice so, to, to time it. So if you are top dressing anything, top dress before you're going to water in that humate. Yeah. Yeah. And come back up with that. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. So that's what I'm, that's actually one of the things that I tell my people, Hey, you uh, do your top dressing. And then in between your testing, after you've done your top dressing, you use that humate fertilizer. So and it helps keep things sufficient. And it's really just checking because when you're on, when you start to scale these systems and you're like on a larger scale, spending a couple uh, hundred bucks every other week 
isn't going to, you know, it's not going to break the bank on your production side, you know, to just know if I need to adjust anything. Usually we see things that are pretty sufficient and we're just maybe doing slight adjustments with whatever it might be. But the biggest thing too is, you know, proper environment, that VPD really, really is important. Super important. Brandon, I had a question about uh, phosphorus. I recently, and I think we even talked about a few episodes back about peak phosphorus. I mentioned maybe even on another show about how I recently learned Morocco has something like 72% of the world's rock phosphate. And I know that you've talked about using like rock, soft rock phosphates and things like that. And um, some people speculate and as soon as like a hundred years that the world supply could be super low. And we're talking about environmental impact and like sustainability and supply chains and things like that. In the past, there's been wars fought over seabird guano, right? And that was a phosphorus uh, for fertilizers and fertilizing purposes. And uh, the soft rock phosphates are used for even like the big ag fertilizers. So I'm curious if you have any thoughts on that and maybe anybody else on the panel. Sure. So there are natural sources of really high phosphorus minerals, and those can be used in agriculture. There's also other types of rock mineral that contain high amounts of insoluble uh, uh, forms of phosphorus. And that's why they developed the use of sulfuric acid is because what they can do is they're able to take these insoluble rock minerals that have really no use and they're able to attack them right with the with the with the sulfate with the sulfite and it breaks it down into phosphate an available plant available form and then they end up you know separating that phosphate out and that's you know how uh, a lot of fertilizers are made and the reason they do that is because uh, most, most land on earth is not arable. It doesn't, it, it can't really be used sufficiently for true agronomic purposes. That just doesn't have the, the, it doesn't naturally have the, the mineral and nutrient content that's, su that's sufficient for the you know high production ag crops to feed masses of people you have to remember we have 8.3 billion people on the planet and so and growing and growing <clears throat> and so these systems have been created to take things and they use chemistry to to make things available now the future is going to be different because when we're looking at systems as a whole, we have to look at it holistically like we do these, these you know, soil systems and growing. How much energy does it cost to create these things? And then what is the use efficiency at the end? If, if it costs a large quantity of energy and then the use efficiency is really low, then it's really wasteful. If we can find ways to uh, make the efficiency 100% and decrease the energy for production, then we could possibly have a carbon positive uh, footprint because- So like as an example, to cut you off and I'll let you keep going, but like with nitrogen, I've seen like your amino N plus is like a way that you don't have to use like a chemical nitrogen fertilizer, which takes probably arguably a lot more energy to produce and then it's not super efficient at being uptaken so like when they spray it over fields a lot of it's runoff water and it's not uptaken by the plants 
a good amount of it is, but not all of it. So with that efficiency kind of example, um, what's the fix for phosphorus or, or phosphate is, is sulfuric acid so, efficient or is there another way? Like, is there some organic, do you have a yes. product, I guess? So there like is, there is, you know, enzymatic process, which is going to be mo- much slower and less efficient, right? That's, that's the trade-off. So you can do it, but here's the thing. When we're talking about closing loops and we're talking about these soil systems, there's, there's three main components that are extremely important and it's going to be nitrogen, phosphorus, and carbon. And, and the, and those things are extremely contingent on natural weathering, like the weather cycles, uh, the amount of water, uh, precipitation, they're going to be contingent on organic matter percentage, because what happens is plants are taking a- a carbon from the atmosphere and they'll deposit into the soil, right? But that soil is going to be utilized. It's going to be utilized and it's going to be converted. And so there's a cycle where it goes atmospheric nitrogen, usable nitrogen, things break down, releases carbon into the soil, or sorry, I went from nitrogen to carbon, but they work the same way, right? Carbon, things break down, they, they take that carbon from the atmosphere. Uh, organic matter breaks down into the soil, releases that carbon attached in that carbon, like if it's leaf or something like that, you're gonna find mostly uh, nitrogen, phosphorus, and sulfur. Those are the three main elements that you're gonna get in abundance from the breakdown and release of those things. However, things like nitrogen and phosphorus are cycled biologically and they cycle uh, and they're contingent on the organic matter and what's organic matter organic matter is carbon you know carbon in the soil actual water soluble carbon that can be used by biology and be used as transport catalysts so that way when these other organic things are broken down the mineral content that's released can stay in a biologically available form for the plant right and when we're looking at phosphorus the fixation um are the uh the the release from inorganic mineral sources into available phosphate, there's never any real free available phosphate. It's always attached to something unless it's being cycled immediately right there in the root zone. And it's because as soon as that phosphate molecule is released, it reacts with other things that are in the soil like calcium and iron and zinc and manganese. And and they can create substances that are available. So they do become available again through enzymatic processes when microbes release these microbes through secondary metabolism and they break them down and convert them or when oxygen is less abundant, you know, and things are reduced or things are oxidized. So there's all these different chemical things and biological processes that are constantly happening. And three of the most important parts of that are really contingent on the cycling of these things. So what my high get mind just got out of that is, is you're saying that the whole debate between, you know, veganism and uh, carnivorism is silly because we're all just carbon-based things eating carbon-based things, even so plants. When we're talking about nutrition, we talk about our bodies. When we talk about fertilization, we're talking about plants. But the same concepts apply, and that actually ways, happens yeah. on a cellular level. So fertilization is occurring on a cellular level, and it's the conversion of these inorganic minerals or some of these low-weight 
molecular compounds, depending on the situation and the pathways, blah, blah, blah. Um, and the, how these things are, are used, right? And how the, the, the cells are uptaking these things and making, you know, organic chemicals out of them. Yeah, it's crazy how similar you know, it is. The more I learn about it, the more similar it is. The way our body breaks down food for the minerals to build, build the building blocks of our bodies. The plants are doing the same fucking thing. They have different functions, different, you know, we have different ways. That's why we have to have proteins that plants produce. We can't produce a lot of the, the we, we're not photosynthetic. So our bodies don't produce naturally like the, the sugars, they have to, they do it through the energy that we give it through the proteins and the carbohydrates, and then they'll manufacture, break down all that stuff. And then they feed ourselves that way. You know, plants, what they're doing is they're actually taking these inorganic compounds from the environment around them. And they're taking CO2 from the atmosphere and then water. And they're using the minerals to make enzymes, to break down the carbon dioxide, photosynthesis breaks down the water and then the oxygen, the hydrogen, the carbon reacts they, when they have a certain amount to make glucose. And that glucose is like the energy that feeds all of the cells in these systems. So the whole thing that a plant is doing is making organic compounds from inorganic substances and some organic substances that are produced by like microbes, you know, things like phytohormones and low weight, uh, organic acids, like amino acids, for instance, and some other things that are attached to carboxyl or hydroxyl groups, stuff like that. So I, uh, asked about if you had a product, but I did, I re recalled a product and I wasn't sure if it was phosphorus because I always mess up like the NPK, like I know K is potassium but it's a P word. <laughs> but then I was like, is P phosphorus or is it another yes. P? You should and just so start calling it Kallium. That's what it used to be called. That make things easier maybe. But um, <laughs> Mammoth P, the reason I brought that up was um, I mentioned this a long, long time ago on a different show, but it's a phosphorus liberator is how they market it. And it's like a, I believe it's a microbial consortium that is specifically directed at creating phosphorus availability within soils. Yes. And I wasn't sure which microbe it is and if you have access to that or um, if there's other competition. Because so I do know it's a little on the pricey side, but if you're lacking phosphorus and like if you're doing more agronomic or even if you just wanted to keep costs low and things like that and you have some phosphorus available in your soil, that's to be unlocked. Uh, it's an option, I guess. Okay, so I'll give... oh, I have a question for Dr. Coco, if that's okay. It's yeah. sort of related to what you're talking about or what we were generally talking about with nutrients and I think that with your background, you might know more about this than me, but um, uh, I've read that uh, in the ancient Roman times, um, and I guess this is pretty well understood, but, uh, you know, Egypt and Rome for a time were, were well, were very closely associated. And I guess uh, parts of Egypt, or at least ancient Egypt, were um, kind of a breadbasket for Rome. And that I guess that uh, the constant production of crops there and then transportation there into other places like 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 ancient rome mm -hmm. um had a desertification effect is that true uh, yeah over farming um in the nile river delta and in the mesopotamia region led to like desertification salt buildup mm -hmm. um it, it's a phenomenon that happens when you irrigate soils that have uh, a lot of dissolved salts 
um, the the salts will sort of migrate their way up to the surface um, and lead to a salinification problem at the surface that, that renders the fields unusable. Oh, so it's not really so much, or maybe, I don't know, this is sort of similar, or, or I guess related, because I, I was told this in the context of like, basically, and I, I guess there were some people on my post about uh, Pete that were kind of making this point as well, which I thought was fascinating, because I knew some of this, but I guess like with strawberries being produced in Egypt, for example, and how like, I guess, um, agricultural intensification has sort of intensified that desertification because maybe nutrients, and that's where I'm getting that sort of uh, segue from, um, are basically being exported, right? Because of all the compounds that are being made to make the plant matter and the fruit, right. and then that gets transported out. So like really- They're leaving the system. Yes, exactly. Yeah, you know, the, the issues with the, the not well, the more devastating effect is more recent along the Nile, and that's the Aswan High Dam that, that stopped the periodic flooding. Um, the, the Nile used to, to have an annual flood that would, you know, wash over the banks, dump a bunch of new sediment um, that would be both then, you know, irrigated and um, fertilized, essentially. Um, stop building that dam prevented the annual floods and prevents that new deposit of sediment along the banks. So when the, the system sort of changes like that, then you have to switch to other forms of fertilization to continue to, to farm there. And you'd start supplementing with, uh, you know, chemical based fertilizers. I feel like it's that need for supplementation and that exportation of literally natural resources like i mean of course i'm probably i probably sound very rich to some people in the world right now because of where i am and how i'm saying this but um i felt like that was kind of the most critical takeaway point from kind of what brandon was saying and what we've been talking about for the last oh 40 minutes or so um i mean that's very tragic and yeah, I mean, there, I want to just jump in. Cases of that. <laughs> Sorry, Mike. I don't before mean we to... finish up, I want to <laughs> give uh, I want to give uh, yeah. Spartan a chance to give his final thoughts and shout out because he does have to get going over to Michigan Bros Grow Show here pretty soon, starting at uh, six o'clock, fifteen minutes from now, fourteen minutes. Yeah, appreciate that, Jack. Thanks, guys. Thanks, panel. Thanks, uh, awesome hanging out today. It's one of those ones where we didn't need to have any questions from chat. It was just a nice conversation that went the whole two hours. I love those ones. So thank you. Cheers for that. And cheers, chat. Um, it was going too fast for me today. I think maybe it was the edible, but I couldn't keep up with chat very well today. So sorry about that if I missed something, guys. But I tried to tried to respond. Some people, here's my pet peeve, Spartan's pet peeve for the day. If you want my attention, you have to tag me. My name on there is Spartan Grown. Yes. A lot of people just do it at Spartan. I'm sorry that I put Spartan Grown. It makes it harder for you guys. <laughs> but I won't see it if it just says at Spartan. I, I do see it sometimes, but it doesn't put that red box around it unless you say spartan grown so i'll try to get better guys <laughs> no that's okay it's very hard i had the same problem and i chose a really complicated name that's not intuitive and people will spell it wrong which is totally valid and i won't <laughs> see their comments either i get it yep <laughs> all right cheers guys and i'll, I'll be over at the michigan bros grow show we don't have a guest tonight but uh we'll probably just uh who got who knows what the hell we'll do it's crazy. Yeah, sometimes those are the best Spartan. nights just hanging with the crew. So uh, cheers to Michigan Bros Grow Show and thank you, Spartan, as always, for coming on. Thank you, uh, Take Spartan care, buddy. Peace out, Spartan. Yeah, Spartan will be the Spartan's gonna be there. That's good enough to go show up. Absolutely.
but we were kind of a uh, Matthew and um, all right. I didn't mean to invoke the, the no, no, sadness. it's fine. I think it was an interesting conversation. <laughs> it, it was related to what we were talking about. And um, it, it also reminded me, reminded me of, I guess, like they used to say, I, I think the Romans did it. They would like salt people's um, fields mm-hmm. and salting the fields made it so that they couldn't immediately grow crops or they'd have difficulties growing crops thereafter. So it is reminiscent of even like the chemical fertilizers being or whatever fertilizer. It could be a deposit of, of sediment that's just too strong to make it. I think like the southeast of the U.S. has like the red clay. And that red clay is hard to grow in without like Brandon was talking about. It's not like agronomically ready. It's not going to go produce you X amount of bushels of corn versus like somebody who's got a whole field that's pumping X amount of fertilizer into it. Or somebody who's been doing like hugel culture beds for the last six years and their soil is rich and living and they're able to yeah. get good production out of it versus a, a true like that's, native untouched soil. That's honestly the best way to get phosphorus back into the system is to utilize all the stuff that you have native. That's why all the breakdown of all that organic mulch and all those things in those beds that is going to have, it's not going to have a massive amount of phosphorus, but it's going to be biologically active and it's going to be able to, uh, to cycle phosphorus out of that organic material. Because again, nitrogen, phosphorus, and sulfur are going to be the main three components that are going to be released through that as well as carbon um, through the breakdown of those materials. Now, is that similar for like most trees and, and other plants like uh, flowers and, and barks and things like that? Yes. So those are like the big three slash four, I guess, um, things that are dropped yeah. when it comes to. Carbon is usually the largest component because if you think about what everything's made out of, it's going to be carbon, hydrogen, oxygen, and then nitrogen. That, that's a protein, and they're going to build those proteins. So huge thing, huge part of that is, oh, you know, a large percentage of that dry weight is carbon. The majority is. That's why I think, like, um, looking back, it was sort of foolish that I would blow the leaves off of my lawn in Ohio during the fall when I could just let them basically decompose and fertilize the lawn, and then we wouldn't have to pay to fertilize it. And I think that like nature has its way, like even like fruit drop theory, where like the fruit that drop around the trees can even be broken down to help fertilize over the coming seasons and things like that. Uh, what if what if you just instead of uh, like raking up your leaves, you just take your lawnmower and just mulch them all up with with no bag on the back, you know? Yeah, with no bag, leave yeah. them where they lie. Yeah, Spartan I think does that. He may have mentioned and uh, any extra stuff that he has, he'll uh, in the pile like that's in additional areas where he needs to like get it off of like the city property or something like that. He uses like, I think he even goes for like black leaf mold because it has good uh, certain microbes in there that are good for breaking stuff down. If I remember correctly, but uh, even just for like the mulch, like the green and the Brown mulch, like having leaves versus like green grass and mixing them together. Uh, there's lots of things that you could do with uh, natural inputs around you. Like you were talking about closing the loops. I know that there are a lot of people out here in California that are attempting to do that. And part of that is uh growing not just cannabis, but other food crops in their area, and then using the compost and recycling that material and uh, putting it back into your garden bed and things like that. So it's it's certainly possible. I was told that there's going to be a new law going into effect in California where you're not allowed to throw away organic waste, or you're going to have to have a new bin and you're going to have to pay to have your organic waste disposed of. And so Bokashi composting, I think, will be a way that people can kind of mitigate the uh, organic wasting and then they can just use that for gardening, putting it in their backyard or 
Yeah, if we don't compost our, our own stuff now, we put it, we're supposed to put it in with our green waste. I think it's smart for the environment as a whole. I think uh, countries, uh, even outside of the U.S., that have implemented similar things have found success. And like, even if you have like a local community garden, like I, I can't remember, I think it, the TV show is called Shit's Creek. And one of the guys in the show walks around with like a backpack with a garbage bag inside of it. And he collects all the people's like rotten apple cores and all this shit. But uh, he then goes and composts it and grows local food for them. And uh, I think that creating real systems like that in your own communities or, or finding somebody who can is a great yeah. way to minimize your impact. There's a place out here in Oklahoma called Fertile Ground. They do that. They've set up these uh, composting uh, bins where they put all their organic waste from like restaurants and stuff. And then they have like a trash pickup type service. And they go around and they pick up all of the uh, compost stuff and then they have a composting facility where they all compost it together. That's awesome. I'd love to hear that. And uh, with that being said, I can't believe it's been three years. This has been a wild ride and uh, I've enjoyed every single week of it, whether we made it live or not. Uh, we've always been here every week and we even did a, a few of them uh, two times a week. So cheers to us for all the dedication for everybody here on the panel and for all the listeners who's been here since day one or whenever you joined. We appreciate you so much. Um, I have a great time doing this every week. I learn a lot. And I think that if anything, like looking forward, you know, we kind of always harken back. I know we talk shit about like NFTs and partying and random shit for a while. I saw, I'm sorry for going off topic. I saw people in the chat and even on the panel trying to get us back on topic. And, and we inevitably do. And, and most of the time always do. So sorry for straying. But uh, in the future, we're going to keep on, you know, trying to teach people how to grow cost effectively, both in organics or synthetic, whatever suits your fancy. We talked a lot about the reasons why uh, both can actually be uh, might be the least impact as far as a uh, carbon footprint goes, depending on where you are and uh, how you prefer to cultivate. So we're all friendly for everybody, both synthetic and organic is all welcome here. And I know so often the community can get divisive about this versus that uh, LED versus yeah, CMH or uh, HPS and, you know, salts versus organics, whatever, whatever. But uh, I think we do a great job of representing both sides here as much as we can and trying to further everyone's knowledge and do it uh, most cost effectively. So that's our mission. Uh, overgrow the world, keep growing. And uh, with that said, I'm going to pass it first to Dr. MJ. Hey, Jack. Thank you. Yes, I am Dr. MJ Coco. It was an interesting sort of broadly ranging show today. Um, I got a few things I'll, I'll let people know about as we're dropping out. I did a new show uh, that just dropped today on uh, the Photosyntech uh, YouTube channel, Meet the Grower with yours truly. Um, so you guys can check that out. It was an interesting show. He's a cool guy. I'm out over on the Photosyntech channel. Um, we have the Grower Love giveaway going on right now. Um, all you have to do is stop by the Deals and Discounts page, register for that. The prize is a chilled Growcraft Ultra X3. Um, it's a beautiful grow light. And it's on the drawing is on 320. So we still got two weeks until that to, to get registered for that. Um, even if you registered before, there's like new bonus actions. And we're getting all geared up for the Spring Auto Flower Challenge, which starts on 420. So start thinking about getting your grow calendars lined up for that. We've got a cool new prize sponsor. Magobi um, is going to be sponsoring the SFAC and giving away like uh, rosin presses and trim trays and grow lights and all sorts of fun stuff. So um, be sure to sign up for that. And uh, yeah, I'll be back here next week. I am Dr. MJ Coco. Grow or love everyone. Thank you so much for joining us and uh, always a great sign off there and appreciate that 
you're able to put your story out there on different platforms so people can go check that out and also uh, continue to do your thing on your platform and this one we appreciate your uh support so much you were on one of the i think the second episode of the show before it became like a full-blown panel by episode three or four so uh you've been here as long as everybody else and uh it's been a, a great run so we appreciate your time and all of your knowledge that you share with the community so thank you again doctor and uh next up we got brandon rust what's going on guys thanks again i also appreciate being here time has gone by pretty quick I am really happy where I'm at, and I'm glad to be able to continue to be part of the panel and share as I learn and as we go. And uh, yeah, it's you know it's been a great learning experience for for me, and I hope that I've been able to help other people along the way as well. So again, you can find me at uh, on Instagram at rust.brandon and also bokashieearthworks.com uh, uh, you know on the internet you can find my website and there's all kinds of cool stuff microbes amendments carbon-based fertilizer and uh, i'll talk to you guys all next week thanks so much for joining brandon i know you've helped many many people for sure uh one of my family members i tried to get into growing is uh no longer able to grow but is still a fan of yours just following some of your content, he got really inspired by like your hustle and all the stuff you were sharing for free and used one of your soil mixes and had great success with it. So uh, I know that's at least one person and I've used a lot of your products and had success with it and learned a lot from your information that you shared on the show as well. So thank you again so much for being with us for all these years and sharing all the information and, and making this time on your Sunday to uh, join us uh, each week. So thank you. And next week or ne next week, next up, we've got Kyle. Thanks, Jack. Uh, happy anniversary, everybody. Um, I'm still trying to remember how it all began. I think Shane knew Eric, and I think that's how that, because I met Eric from Green Goddess at a, the Harvest Cup in Worcester, and then he was friends with Shane, and then Shane reached out to me. And um, Yeah, so I'm just glad we're still doing this. Uh, definitely doesn't seem like three years by any means. Um, but yeah, uh, I got some things going on. Um, I actually got a, uh, a job offer at a at a facility down here. I'm not sure where that's going to go, but that's an interesting one. Um, but yeah, I got some uh, collaboration with Mr. Soul happening soon, so that's really exciting. I have an auto flowers that I put on my website last night. So if there's any auto flower growers out there, uh, there's access to them. And the Ace of Spades collaboration that me and Noam did turned out like absolutely beautiful, man. Uh, just me, me nor Dan knew the pink pistols were going to get uh, – Un unlocked in, in that cross so it's a, just it's really really nicely statured plants and uh, my side the syndica um, carry these wicked extreme greasy cotton candy uh, terpene profiles and uh, came through in, in the in the progeny so that's just really so if anyone's looking for that kind of stuff that's on my website uh, paypal shut me down i still have venmo uh, I'm working on some other things too. So excuse the uh, processing issues there. It's just it's a, an ongoing battle for a lot of us, but uh, there's some solutions happening. Check out um, the Cash App. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's one too. Um, we're getting there though. I actually, well, ironically, man, I don't know if anyone knows. So I actually found an actual bank that will actually let me bank with them and let me use actual. Uh, debit and credit cards, but there's a, a fee with that, and that fee is something I don't really like. Dang, yeah, it's it's heavy, and who knows? Yeah, whatever. But so I'm trying to figure it out. But um, 
Yeah, so that I got a new C drop happening in eight weeks. I got a, a collaboration with Brandon going on that I'm really excited about too, because me and him have been trying to do something for a while. Um, but yeah, so purebreeding.com, pure underscore breeding on Instagram, pure breeding on Facebook. And, uh, you know, anybody that wants to reach out, please feel free to reach out. And uh, if you don't, well, if you're listening and you don't have social media because you don't do that, pure breeding, the letter M and the letter A, abbreviation for Massachusetts at gmail.com you can find me there and uh i'm everywhere so just thanks guys i'm really happy we're all doing this i'm glad we're all safe glad we survived the pandemic and hopefully we survive what's coming up with uh who knows what's going on in this world type stuff and uh you know i'll see you guys all soon man thank you so much for joining us kyle and next up matthew gates i was supposed to say something more uh salient than this on the three-year anniversary, but I just wanted to say that I honestly appreciate the relationships that I've made, the interactions that I've had, positive and also in some kind, in some cases stressed or somewhat negative, um, have all been uh, enriching for me and have allowed me to grow as a, as a professional and also personally. So it's, it's been a... Uh, it's been an enjoyable experience and I'm looking forward to more of that. And if you want to find more of my own content, you can find it on Zenthanol at YouTube. I will be with Chad Westport on the Future Canvas Project 02 channel talking about Western flower thrips and cannabis on Tuesday. So you can check me out there, live stream. Um, I'll have a presentation there for that. You can also find me on my Instagram at SyncAngel and at SyncAngel on Twitter. Always happy to have you. And uh, I know without you, we would definitely not have gotten as much IPM knowledge to the community and to myself. Uh, I know it's very valuable as much as people. We, we I love that we kind of like weave it into a grow conversation because otherwise maybe some people would never go over to your page because they just want to avoid all things IPM. But then once they get introduced here, they'll probably be like, wow, he's really informed and this can actually save my ass. So they'll go and check it out and uh, appreciate that kind of knowledge. And even the quick stuff that they take on each show that you've been on is uh, probably enough to save many people's gardens or at least get them on the right path to uh, doing more crop scouting and having more options of how they can approach certain pests and uh, molds, mildews, et cetera. So we appreciate your input and all the work that you're doing, uh, not only here, but all over the uh, internet. So thank you so much. And last, and certainly not least, Tao, the American one, the, the faceless man who always joins us with a uh, great insight. First, let me say, Jack, Thanks for your confidence and the hosting skills and continually to perform week after week. Uh, it's appreciated by me anyway. And everyone on the panel, I just feel lucky that we have so many uh, smart, intuitive, uh, curious, and all different aspects of the cannabis cultivation and get all these opinions is like priceless. It really is. And uh, shout out to chat coming around and uh, hanging out with us every week. It's always good. And uh, yeah, uh, I guess that's about it. I'm the American one, and most of you know where to find me. So peace out, everyone. Uh, let's do another three. And uh, yeah, For eventually sure. the whole United States will be able to like, every state will will like, yeah, be able to come on and show their stuff without fear. Let's knock on wood for that to happen. That's the goal. Hey, hopefully we'll uh, make bigger strides this upcoming year. And uh in the future, maybe we'll do a cheap home grow cup slash meetup in every state. That'd be fun. Just like everybody can have their own little local. We could come 
and bring the show to you. Maybe do a live event where all of us get up on a stage and do the cheap home grow sure. together. Yeah. And uh, you could actually see Tao in person then. The man, the myth, the legend. But uh, it's been a great three years. I'm looking forward to the next three for sure. We're, no signs of stopping. I, I love this. I like the American one and many others have said getting all the uh, different points of view and uh, content out there. It's, it's something I really enjoy and I'm learning more every week. And I also want to shout out Chad Westport and chat. I know uh, Matthew mentioned him about the FCP 2 I was on there with him as well. He's a great dude, great member of the community. And there's so many. I, I can't even begin to start listening on because there's over a hundred and it would uh, extend the show way further into Gro or Michigan bros grow show than I would like to. We've already cut four minutes into their show. Uh, which I, I don't like to go extra, but this is a three-year anniversary. So I wanted to give everybody a little bit of uh, extra love and say thank you to the American one who uh, sent me his Amy Aces. I grew them out and uh, I'm still smoking on some of it. Uh, it's great to have homegrown. That was bred by your friends and uh, grown by yourself with lots of love and, and care and uh, get some good results and get to share them with the community and, and compare now that I'm seeing so many people grow it literally internationally and all over the state. So uh, Tao, thank you again for joining us these past few years. It's been great. I always appreciate your input and, uh, Everybody in on the panel uh, who's here this week, uh, shout out to ATG Acres and Noah V. Groa, who are not with us, and shout out to all the prior panel members, like we mentioned earlier, Green Goddess, and uh, so many great ones that uh, people ask about, like Shane and, and uh, Can Can Grow. They're, they're doing well. From, from uh, And uh, Chef OMJ was here with us like last week. We've got a lot, of, a lot of past great panelists as well, and uh, from... All the recent check-ins I've done with, not, they haven't been super recent, but the latest check-ins I've done with all those people, they're all alive and well. And uh, so anybody out there's wondering, I've seen comments in some of the shows like, hey, whatever happened to so-and-so? So, -and -so? so um, they're just busy with their personal lives and, and things like that. Uh, when they have time for the show, if they feel like they're able to, they'll come on back. But until then, you've got us and the regulars in chat. And uh, we all appreciate you and we appreciate each other. It's a, a good place to be because there's a lot of rough shit out there and, and we try to keep it focused on the grow and the good side of the community and content. So we're going to keep on doing that moving forward. This is Jack Greenstock, sending out. Peace and love, y'all.